0: Somebody asked me about this, and so um, this is actually five loaves, two fish equals Jesus fed 5,000 men. Some of you don't know that Janie and I got to be in the, we got to be extras in the filming of the feeding of the 5,000 for the chosen this year. So we went out in June and we spent several hours uh, in Midlothian uh, burning up, And, and there's actually picture proof that I was there. Okay, so see this guy right here? My wife is there. See this hand right here and this hand right here? She is somewhere right there. Janie was there, I promise. But but you all see that? I was there. That means absolutely nothing to you, but I was there. It means a lot to me. So anyway, that's what this is, and no, you cannot order these. They only sold them to the suckers who stayed out in the 100-degree heat for several hours that day. So we paid for these, and we got those. Okay. Now, we started a new series last week called Called, and we said a couple of things. We said that God is calling you to a who before he ever calls you to a do. He wants you to be the right type of person before you ever serve him. Um, It's always who before do, so say who before do. Um, the wrong question is, what am I called to do? And everybody asks this question when they come to Christ or when they come to church. The right question is, who am I called to become? And we said, this is our theme verse. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Paul is in a Roman prison, and he says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. How many of you have gone to prison because you've been such a, a dedicated Christian that people said, oh man, we got to throw you in jail so you'll shut up. Anyone? No, no one here. He says I'm in, in jail because I'm talking about Jesus. I went I will not stop. And he says I'm begging you. Last week I'm begging new lifers to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received because you've been called by God. And that's the theme verse for this whole thing. So, we're going to put the prayer up on the scripture. I'm going to read uh, up on the screen and I'm going to read it out loud. You're going to repeat it if you're online. Just say it out loud where you are. Go ahead and put that next one up there if you would, Gary. So, I'm going to say the first phrase, you repeat it. By the power of your word, And the presence of your spirit, would you stir up your divine calling in all of us today? And here's the most important part, would you begin with me? Father, you've heard this prayer, and so God, we pray that you would not leave us alone. You have pursued us, you have called us. And so God, open our hearts and our minds to understand what you've called us to today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We said the Bible never talks about your vocation, your calling for your career. What the Bible always talks about is your calling to become like Jesus. Who before do? So God calls you to three things, and and we're going to look at those real quickly. The number one thing that God calls you to is salvation. Before God ever calls you to do anything for his kingdom, he calls you to himself. Now, in Mark, Jesus is having um, dinner at Levi or Matthew's house. You remember that Jesus was walking along. He sees Matthew or Levi, same guy, two different names. Um, he, he's a tax collector, and he says, leave your tax collecting. Come and follow me. And immediately the Bible says he followed him. Well, later Jesus has dinner at his house and all of these tax collectors and sinners gather at Matthew's house and Jesus is there and all the disciples are there and the Pharisees the religious leaders they say what kind of man is this who he has dinner with tax collectors and sinners and here's how Jesus responded to their question he said healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, and he's talking to the religious leaders. I didn't come to call you because you think you're righteous, and God forbid that we should ever think we're righteous. We're not righteous apart from Jesus Christ. He said, but I've come to call those who know they are sinners. Now, let me ask you today. Now, I know some of you got some sniffles or whatever, but I mean, today, if you're in this room, if you're online, if you're feeling relatively healthy today, raise your hand. You feel pretty good. So are you going to run out and make a doctor's appointment because you feel good? Isn't that what you do when you feel good? Don't you say, hey, I need to come see a doctor today. Is that what you do? No, that's foolish. Jesus is saying people who think they're righteous don't even recognize that they need God. He said, that's not who I came for. I came for people who know they are sinners. We need to remember that we were dead. So Ephesians says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Have you ever seen a dead person? Does that dead person need to clean himself up? No, the dead person needs to be made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and God made you alive spiritually through Jesus. He didn't come to call sick people, He came to call dead people into relationship with Him. And it doesn't, here's the good news it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how dark your life feels, you are called to come to Jesus. Come as you are, come where you are. He calls you, first of all, to salvation, to be transformed by the grace of God, to be moved from death spiritually to life spiritually. That's the first thing. He calls you to salvation. That's just the beginning. Second, he calls you to sanctification. Now, this is is a theological term, but we're going to break it down. We're going to define it. Now, the generic term of sanctification is this, the state of proper functioning. That clears it up, right? Right? theologically, the way we talk about it in the church is we, just say to, we say to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. I have a couple of things up here today. To sanctify this writing pen means it is used to write. How effective is the writing pen if I try to hammer a nail? If I try to turn a screw with it? If you don't know the purpose of a thing, you're going to abuse the thing. What is this thing? It's a can opener. How effective would this be as a hedge trimmer? It makes the motion. If I don't know... The purpose of the thing, I'm going to abuse the thing. If you don't know the purpose of your life, you're going to abuse your life and you're going to use your life to abuse other people because you do not know the purpose of the designer. To sanctify, this is the second step. Salvation is a one time deal, sanctification is a lifetime deal where you are set apart and you are molded and shaped by your designer for the intended use he created you for. That's what sanctification means. Salvation, one time. Sanctification, the rest of your life. Salvation is where he washes you clean from sin. Sanctification is where he washes your mind, and he does it through the word of God, and he spends a lifetime doing that. Now, when I was six years old, I was sitting in a fundamental Baptist church. We've talked about that. That basically meant that women couldn't wear pants. Um, the, the, The religious leaders in the church got to tell you everything that you were supposed to do, supposed to think and all that stuff. Well, so when I was six, I was a fairly good kid. And let's say that from the time that I gave my life to Christ, I mean, from the time I was born until I became six, I'm a fairly good kid. But we know that that I, I sinned. We're, I was talking to the, the VBS class about this. You'll see a video of that at the end of the service. But I was talking to the VBS today, uh, Friday night, about this. And we said, What is sin? They know what sin is. They said, Being mean, stealing, saying things. So, what's going to happen to this white paint when I begin to add sin to it? What colors are going to turn? Gray. gray. And the more I sin, the more gray it's going to be until eventually it's going to turn what color? If all I did was put the rest of this black in there, what color would this paint be? Black. So because I sin, the Bible says, I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. So I came to Christ when I was six, and I prayed, and God began to, at that point, began to clean me up. The problem is, he wipes away all of my sin. The problem is, he doesn't wipe away the consequences of my sin in my mind. And so the way that I'm supposed to be, uh, be more like Jesus is through sanctification, Well, I spent from six until I was 22, 16 years not being sanctified. I got into all kinds of stuff when I was a teenager, pornography and things like that, and it became darker and darker and darker. Even though I was saved, my mind was dark, and I needed to be sanctified. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Now, God calls you to salvation. He calls you to sanctification, and then third, He calls you to service. Do you know why it feels so good to help folks? Those of us who went to um, Lake Charles and we served, it is so awesome to serve. It just feels good. Your heavenly father, whether you're a believer or not, God in heaven created humans to have this desire to be needed, to be useful in life. And when you help someone else, it just feels good. But if you're a Christian, it goes farther than this. The Bible says that you have at least one spiritual gift, special abilities given to you by God at the moment you come to Christ. And he expects you to use those gifts to build up the local church. When you don't use those gifts, they're like muscles that atrophy and they no longer function properly. First, God calls you into his family to salvation. Then he transforms you through, uh, through sanctification. And then he expects you to serve. When you, uh, I think if, if aliens, I don't believe in aliens, but I think if aliens were to come and they were to observe Christian churches in the United States, they would say that Christians believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save them from their sins. They believe in salvation, but I don't think they would, they would go a step further. We don't. Do, do most Christians believe in sanctification and do most Christians believe in service? Let me ask it this way. Are most Christians growing every day spiritually and are they serving, given their lives to build up the local church? What's the answer generally to both of those questions? No. I think the aliens would go, well, these people believe in Jesus, but that's it. There's no sanctification. There's no service. Paul reminds us that before Christ... We weren't anything special. And the only thing that makes us special after Christ is Christ. Look what he says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Now look at this. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. We got anybody here related to the Queen of England? Nobody? Nobody here is noble? Is anybody here wise? Not a wise acre, not a wise guy, I mean wise. Any of you influential? I mean, you could just call up Silicon Valley and have your idea. You could go on Shark Tank and they would all be begging to give you money to produce your idea. No one? Well, that's the good news. It's actually great news. Because do you realize who God calls to salvation, sanctification, and service? He calls the untrained, He calls the unqualified. He calls the unprepared. He calls the spiritual nobodies. It's that old saying that they I've heard my whole life in church. God does not call the prepared. He prepares the called. And that's good news. So I was six years old. I was sitting in... Um, a little Baptist church, and if this were the Baptist church, it would be back there about two or three rows from the back. I was sitting next to my older brother, and all I was doing was minding my own business, and I mean really minding my own business. We didn't have a choice. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. We went Tuesday night. We went Wednesday. If there was a revival, you went before work or before school. If you were sick, you went at noon, and then you went again at night. We just did not have an option, so I'm sitting back there on a Sunday night minding my own business, and I'm, I'm telling you, it was just like the Peanuts cartoons, the comics, when the, when the adult is talking. Wah, 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 wah. That's all I was hearing. And I'm just, you know, my brothers would give me gum or dad would give me gum and they, they would praise God if I would fall asleep during the service because I just couldn't, you know, it was just painful. When I was six years old, sitting back here, the preacher gets to the invitation, and we don't do an invitation here, and if you come to 101, we'll tell you why, but gets to the invitation, and and I've never heard God say, Doug, I would have freaked out. But in my heart that night, the preacher said, if you don't know Jesus, what about asking him to come into your heart tonight? And, and it just... I felt like the Lord said to me, you don't know me. You are not my child. So at six years old, I reached over to my brother, and I said, hey, I need to go down there. And he's like, gone. I said, no, I was six. I said, you come with me. He goes, okay. And so my 18-year-old brother, no, he's 20 at that time, but walks me down the front. And on that night, I prayed to receive Christ. Now, I got a question. Was, Was I wise at six? Maybe wiser than I am now, but, but I would, no. Was I influential at six? Was I part of the royal British family? Dunton Abbey, I don't even know how you say it. Janie watches that show. Dunton Abbey. She waits till I go to bed because there's no way I'm watching that show. <laughs> Was I part of the royal family? No. God called me to salvation when I was six, but what I didn't understand until I was 22, that God called me to sanctification. So in my teenage years, I got into some bad stuff. I started looking at pornography when I was 12. I, was at my, I went to a church friend's house. His mom was the organist at the church, and his older brother had Playboy magazines. And we started looking at that, and I started, I started getting my mind all messed up. And I didn't understand sanctification until I was 22, so I've been a Christian for 51 years. I'm 57. I'm almost 58. I've been a growing Christian for 35 years, starting when I was 22. I started reading the Bible. I started praying. Now uh, I can I can honestly say I I do not remember the last time that I didn't have my time my daily time with the Lord. Wait wait I do remember. It was March 13th, 2020. You know what I was doing? I was flying back from Israel as the world shut down during a pandemic. I did read my Bible, but I didn't open up and have my, my little... So for four years... No, that was 2017. Five years, every day, I've gotten up and I've put God's Word in my mind and I've written out prayers and I've studied God's Word and I've prayed for you guys every day for five years. The process of sanctification is now my my mind is much clearer than it's ever been. But it's never going to be perfect until I die, until I I leave this body. And then when I go before Christ, I will be like him. But it's a, a, a lighter shade of gray than it's ever been before. Because day after day after day after day, I'm putting God's word in my heart. That's the process of sanctification. 35 years I've been trying to to get my mind clearer and clearer so I look more like Jesus. And it's an effort. (laughs) When I was in my teenage years, I didn't understand the purpose of my life. So I abused my life and I used my life to abuse others. I was not a very nice person. It is amazing to me that God called me into ministry. In fact, when I went back to my 10-year reunion, Janie and I went back to my 10-year high school reunion. I'm about to go to my 40-year this year. 10-year reunion, we come walking in, and people are like, You're a minister? I'm like, Yeah, God still works miracles. <laughs> right? Some of you can't explain it. There's no external reason why today, but, but there's a stir- spiritual tugging at your heart today. God tugged at my heart when I was six for salvation. God tugged at my heart when I was 22 for sanctification. And some of you know you have never been sanctified. And today, God is calling you to sanctification. He's calling you to look more like Jesus Christ. And if you ever understand what Jesus Christ did to clean you up from your sins, service will not be an option. People who don't serve have forgotten what it cost Jesus to purchase your salvation. I didn't have anybody to teach me, to tell me that, that I needed to grow up. And then I got to tell you, I, I didn't set out to be a pastor. When I was in youth, uh, at youth camp, my, my junior or senior year, I don't remember, it's been too long ago, I felt God call me into ministry and the only thing I knew how to do was sing so I thought I was going to be a music minister. And so I said, okay, well then my sophomore year in college, I get this phone call and, and they said, hey, you want to come lead music at our church? And I said, sure, I need a job, need to get started on this career. So I go out to this little bitty church, Grace Baptist of China Spring. I think we had maybe 22 people total the first Sunday I was there. And I started leading music. And then they said, hey, you want to be our youth minister? I said, sure. I don't know how to how to do that, but I'll be a youth minister. Well, 15 years into youth ministry, Janie and I are married by this point. We go up to a, a conference in Chicago, and, and she will tell you, we remember exactly where we were. This, this, this worship center seated about 4,000 people, and there were probably 4,000 ministers in, in this. And, and we were in the balcony back up over here, three or four rows from the back, when God totally called me to a different way of doing ministry. We, uh, You see, I was doing the Baptist thing. I grew up a Baptist, and so in the Baptist church, what you do is you, you take care of the flock you have. So I took care of the flock at Grace Baptist Church. I had three or four teenagers, grew it to about 12 or 15 teenagers. And then what happens in the Baptist Church, if you take one group and you grow it a little bit bigger, then a bigger church looks at you and says, hey, come be our youth minister. And So I did that, and a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger. That's the Baptist way. You take care of the sheep you have. You don't worry about the people outside the walls. You just take care of the sheep you have, and you warn them, and you train them. Hey, don't get too close to the fence there. Oh, you're getting into a dangerous spot there. Don't be going there. Don't, 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 don't. That's what you did in the Baptist church. And if you do it well, hey, come be our youth minister and teach our kids to to not do all of these things. And sitting in that conference, God said, I want you to go back and I want you to do youth ministry totally different. And we became focused on people outside the walls of the church. And, And what we didn't know in 1998 was New Life Community Church. The idea for New Life Community Church began in 1998, but we didn't start New Life until 2002. And so in our church, we believe that we should take the word of God and, and we should present it in a way that people understand. And in fact, last week, someone wrote on their card, and here's what they said. Thank you for breaking down the basics so we all understand God's teaching. That's the whole purpose of New Life. When we started New Life, we said we want to reach people who are far from God, help them connect with God, connect with other believers, and then we, we don't even teach them that word sanctification until you get in because you need to grow up in Christ. And let me tell you, when you start a church for people who are far from God, it's messy. It's just as messy in in traditional churches. They just cover it up. We're just real open about the type of people that we are. And we're real open about our past. That we didn't have it all together until God began to save us and sanctify us. Starts with being called to salvation. You're drawn to the goodness and grace of God. Then he starts to change you. As he changes you, he calls you to service. Most of you will not pastor a church, but you are called to serve. Now, let me tell you two qualities of calling, and we'll finish up this hot service today. First one is calling costs. It costs you. I want to look at the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. When we meet him, he's going by the name of Saul. I believe he's the most religious person in the history of the world. And and if you want to debate that, we can debate that. He was very uh, zealous for the the Jewish faith. In fact, the Bible the Bible says no one was zealouser. It doesn't really. I said that. I'm just making up words to see if you're still awake. He hated Christians and in Acts 9:1 it said that Paul, Saul, it was what he was called at the time. Later he's called Paul. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the uh, against God's disciples, the Lord's disciples. So even his breath was let's get rid of, let's kill the Christians, and that's actually what he did. And so he goes to the priest, and this is what it says in Acts 26. He's telling his story to King Agrippa, and he says, The leading priest gave me the power to put many of God's people where? In jail. And they were being what? Killed. I agreed it was a what? Oh, let's kill the Christians. Woo! I've seen how some of y'all cheer. If your kid just doesn't fall down on the base paths. Yes, you're the best! Or you're praying, God, I don't want anybody to get injured, but let that kid miss this ball that's coming to shortstop so my kid kid can get on the base. Ah! Saul was saying, Christians are being killed. This is a good thing. In the synagogue, I often did what? What did he do? He punished them, and he tried to make them do what? He tried to make them blaspheme. And if they didn't blaspheme, he arrested them, and some of them he killed. I was so angry against them. Some of you are really angry at Christians. I was so angry against them, I even went to other cities to find them and punish them. On one such journey, we're told that that Saul is on the way to Damascus. He has papers from the chief priest where he can arrest people, put them in jail just for being Christians. And if you know the story what happens is Saul and his companions are walking along and a bright light happens and he is knocked to the ground and he hears a voice saying to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me? And Saul down on the ground he says who are you Lord? And it was just he he wasn't calling him Lord he was as as in savior he was saying just you're you're obviously more powerful than me who are you? And he said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he blinded Saul. Now, think about this. You're the most religious person in the country. Everybody knows you. You're famous for being religious. And you're knocked to your face. You're blinded. And then you're... I, I was thinking about this. If you're born blind, you learn how to adapt. This dude wasn't born blind. He was running around, and all of a sudden, he's made blind for three days. And so they lead him into the city. And then after three days, God speaks to a man named Ananias. And he says, I want you to go to Saul. Now, Let me tell you what he doesn't say to Ananias to say to Saul. He doesn't say, Saul, you're going to be an amazing influencer. You're going to have millions of followers and make a huge difference from Jesus. You're going to be TikTok famous, Saul. No, that's not what he says. Now, Ananias has heard about Saul. He's heard that people get thrown in jail. He's heard that people are put in prison and killed by Saul. And God says, hey, Ananias, can you imagine if God says to you, hey, go the most violent person towards Christian on the planet today, you go tell him about Jesus. Ananias says, Lord, you sure about this? And look what God says to him in Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him, what do I have highlighted there? Let's say that again. I will show him what? For my name's sake. See, God had specifically chosen Saul to go into certain environments. And he said, you're going to suffer when you tell people about me. God has called you to go into certain environments. And I have a message for you today. If you're going to be an honest follower of Jesus, you're probably going to suffer because you're a Christ follower. Now, I feel pretty certain that I am not called to, to one particular environment. I feel certain of this, and when I tell you, I think maybe you'll feel certain too. We watched the Super Bowl. We had a Super Bowl party back here, and we had different tables and all this stuff. Well, there was a knitting and crochet table. I feel pretty certain I'm not called to go into the knitting and crochet circle to represent Christ. That circle had no idea who was playing in the game, much less who won the Super Bowl. But my wife is a part of The knitting and crochet circle. She's called into that environment. I am not. However, you are called. Some of you may be called to your Mother's Day Out program, your job, your your school, your gym, your kids' sports team. But I'm just going to tell you this. To step into your calling, you have to step out of your comfort. The night Jesus died on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Would you say that Jesus' calling cost him something? your calling is going to cost you something as well. And God often uses your deepest pain to launch our greatest calling. God never wastes a hurt, but we do it all the time. What God wants to do, and, and you need, some, somebody here needs to hear this, your deepest pain is often part of your public calling. Because if you don't know the purpose of your pain, you're going to abuse your life, and you're going to use your pain to abuse someone else's life. But the moment you realize that God is bigger than your pain, he wants to use your pain to reach others, you can begin to step into your calling. So, warning, 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 warning. You paying attention? Serving Jesus is going to be the greatest gift you'll ever face, and it's going to be the biggest grind that you'll ever face. Living your calling simultaneously is the biggest thrill you're going to have in your life, and it's going to be the biggest burden. Ministry is exhilarating, and it's exhausting. And if following Jesus isn't your greatest gift and your greatest burden, it isn't Jesus that you're following. It's hard to follow Christ, but it's worth it. God didn't say it would be easy. In fact, he said it's going to be tough. And so the biggest enemy of your calling is comfort. Let me talk about the second uh, quality of calling. Calling sustains. How did Paul, Saul remain faithful? Well, let's read about it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 through 26. He says, Five times I received the Jews from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. So I did the math for you. That's 195 times in his life he was hit with a whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. We don't even know. He doesn't even know how many times he was beaten with rods. He doesn't tell us that. So 195 times with whips. Three times he's beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. After one time, of being shipwrecked, I probably would quit getting on those wooden boats. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, and danger from Gentiles and danger in the city, and danger in the country, and danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. Where has Paul faced danger? Better question: Where hasn't Paul faced danger? Following Jesus isn't easy. And here's what you need to hear. If the devil can't destroy you, he will try to discourage you. Anyone ever here been discouraged following Christ? Just me? Okay. There's a couple of us. Discouragement might be the second biggest enemy of your calling. I Right before I graduated from Baylor, I quit ministry. I was a youth ministry, music and youth minister. I quit ministry, and I thought it was because there was this one lady in my church that just made my life a living hell. Later, I realized that I was doing youth ministry, but I was not pursuing Christ. I was doing all the activities. I just wasn't pursuing Christ. And so I quit. And so I I moved up after graduation. I moved up to about a mile from my brother's house. My brother was the pastor at First Baptist Colleyville. And I started attending his church. And then, as God would have it, the music minister leaves. So they needed an, an interim music minister. And who do you think they asked to be the interim uh, music minister? It's the guy who just graduated from Baylor with a music ministry degree. And so I started doing that, and I started being faithful. And, and my brother and I, he was, he was encouraging me, and I was learning. And then out of nowhere, it seemed... Someone calls my brother and says, hey, we're looking for somebody. This was a guy in Austin, a pastor. He says, we're looking for a guy to be um, our youth minister who also knows how to lead youth music because we have a youth choir and we want some guy to do that. You know anybody like that? My brother's like, yeah, but I don't want to recommend him. And and the pastor said, "You, you can't recommend him? He goes, no, it's my little brother, and I don't want him to leave, but he could do the job. God pulled me back into ministry full time. He would not leave me alone. So I tell you that story to tell you this. Paul didn't finish the race because he was competent. He finished the race because he was called. In Philippians 3, Paul says he's not perfect, that he's not all God wants him to be. But check this out. He says, I focus on one thing. How many things? How many times could it be said of your life you're focusing on one thing? He said, I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, God through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Somebody in this room has quit the faith. You've quit the race. But if you've been called by God, you need to get back in the race. You need to reclaim your calling. You're called to salvation, something that is incredible. God raised you from death to life. Salvation is something you can't earn. It is the most expensive free gift in the history of the world that's been offered to you. You have to humble yourself and you have to accept what Jesus did. And then you're called to sanctification. You've been set apart for the use intended by your designer. It's a lifelong process. And as you're being sanctified, you're called to service. I don't know. I think Casey probably understands this more than, than maybe anybody else in the room. Being a minister is probably one of the hardest jobs on the face of the planet. Because if you hurt, I hurt. If, if you walk away from God, it kills me. If you change churches because you're mad at me or you're mad at somebody in the church, it kills me. And, and I can't even tell you how many times, lost count how many times um, I've wanted to quit the ministry. Every time God says to me, where are you going to go? I'm like, well, I could do a whole lot of things. There's a lot of stuff easier than church, Lord. And then then I say, I really can't do anything else. You've called me to this. And so if nobody shows up or if 150 or 500 show up, the reason I keep showing up week after week is because God called me. If you've ever walked away from God, you need to hear this. Romans eleven twenty nine. Paul is writing to the Roman Christians. He says, for God's gifts and his call are, what's that last word? Do you know what irrevocable means? Here's another translation, the New Century Version. God never changes his mind about the people he calls and the things he gives them. So you need to hear this today. God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. No matter where you are, where you have been, your past does not take away God's call from your life. It cannot be revoked. It cannot be recalled. It cannot be repealed. It cannot be annulled. It cannot be withheld. It cannot be withdrawn. You are called and you're called to salvation. You're called to sanctification. You're called to serve. Don't let anyone talk you out of your calling from God. And with all of what I said in mind, let me read this scripture over you and we'll be finished. With this in mind, you're calling to salvation, to sanctification, to service. We constantly pray for you. We pray over you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Your life is not about you. It's about him. And the moment you realize that, God's going to use you to make a difference for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, it's hot in here. I think your enemy is trying to distract us from your calling. I pray that somebody today would answer the call. Someone's walked away, they need to come back. Someone doesn't even know that you've called them to salvation, that you want to have a relationship with them, that you have designed them for a purpose. They don't even know maybe today would be the day they begin to question. Maybe today would be the day they step into the faith and they're born from death to life spiritually. God, it's time that new lifers get off their spiritual and physical butts and serve. So I pray you won't leave us alone until we do what you've called us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if I've ever said but in a prayer before, but I just did today.